Welcome back to Peach Pit. We're back for another season of FRC. Uh, we've got a special episode for some post-kickoff reaction um, with a number of FRC mentors. We're going to have a few discussions about the current state of the district for the PCH district, um, some strategies for this new game, uh, potential robot designs we might consider or suggest to various teams, and everything in between. Um, but before we get started into that, we'll talk about we have a disclaimer, so before we get started, we have the usual disclaimer. Any views or opinions shared on this show are solely that of the individual contributor and do not reflect the views of Peach Pit, any FRC team, FIRST, Georgia FIRST, or any of their affiliates or sponsors. Um, so the idea behind this show is to serve as an FRC talk show that focuses primarily on the Peachtree District. We're talking uh, about some of the, a variety of topics, so don't be surprised to see us uh, drop some hot takes. Ultimately, we're hoping to provide some entertaining and engaging discussions. Um, so with that, we're going to start with or in introductions. We'll start with Thomas. Um, hello, my name is Thomas. I'm a current strategy mentor for Team 1746. Hello, my name is Kyle. I am a provocateur, a troublemaker, and on-air personality for Georgia First. Uh, my name is Kellen Hill, a current lead mentor for Team 1746, Otto. I'm Brian Carlson, a strategy mentor for 6829 Ignite Robotics. All right, great to have everybody back. We're excited for another season. Um, so first topic we're going to jump into is the state of the PCH district. Um, so it's obviously been a while since we've had a new season or a live competition events uh, outside of some off-season events. So we're going to talk about some things that have changed since March 2020 when we last had uh, in-person competition. Um, so first up, uh, what's what's the change? One of the biggest changes uh, that's happened is a is a bit of a drop in team count. So we I think finished in 2020 with about 85 or 86 teams. Right about. Yeah. And we're down to about 66 teams. What right. do you guys think of, of uh, any changes that have occurred amongst that number dropping down to 66? I mean, I think it's because. Obviously, the elephant in the room is COVID, but I think COVID kind of just highlighted a lot of the um, the cost inefficiencies that happen when you're uh, having a FRC team and when you uh, see a lack of opportunity to basically build up your um, build up your base of students, everything else, like a, a truly effective way to do that, as well as sponsors are starting to pull out when they're trying to do cost-effective measures and everything else. You're going to see uh, some of these teams drop off that don't have that solid, that solid set of sponsors, that solid set of mentors as well. Because I've realized through talking to other teams that the mentor recruitment process has been tough during these last two years. Yeah, I think for me the biggest thing is losing a lot of the team. The, the weirdness of a lot of the mid-tier teams stayed in Georgia, but the teams that we lost, we lost either uh, the two heavy hitters being 49-10 and 11-02, both leaving the district with 11-02 uh, having to make the move back to South Carolina. And a lot of the, we only have eight new rookie teams this year, and a lot of the old rookie teams just aren't returning. Um, and that that's just the unfortunate state of things, um, something I hope we can see um, come, a lot of these teams come back after a couple years away. I also think it's interesting how teams are changing and evolving. With the almost two-year gap, you're going to have a lot less experienced students on the team, 
And I know a lot of teams are looking at this as a time to sort of reset how to do stuff. And some of the things that they may want to change, they're like, okay, let's try to do it now. So it'll be interesting to see how teams come out of this and how they're sort of different and have used this opportunity to maybe improve their program. So one of the things I want to talk about before we get into that, to the next part of this is, does it also make sense as the district moves forward and honestly what we see across the first landscape that we may see more of that move to district model because i think a big part of what we we went to the district model for was to have that kind of close-knit community between teams to be able to kind of build up each other and i think especially as we get to uh we're getting to the point where we're now losing teams what i think has been a really great point about us moving to a district model is the effort between a lot of the local more local teams like the different bunches of teams is that they've been working together to keep alive their individual teams to keep morale high as well you know it's been a real opportunity to kind of uh, stretch our imagination on how we can foster community within like locally and I think that happens especially here in Georgia, because of that district model. Yeah, And that's where I'd hope to see that some of those teams that have dropped out since 2020, hopefully it's a situation they're able to come back in the future. But I like Brian's comment, too, that there's been a substantial change even for the teams that are returning um, based off of the, the experience level of their current student base. So I think we're in for a lot of interesting um, and new uh, experiences for this upcoming season. Uh, based off of those those changes. Um, another significant change for this upcoming season is that we've had a shift to a single championship event where down from, I believe, our, our, our former 17 qualification spots back in 2020, our PCH uh, will only qualify nine teams, I guess 10 and counting our Hall of Fame team of Cal Robotics. Uh, any thoughts on qualifying for one of those nine spots? Wayne well, States. Win states. <laughs> you, win states. You gotta play the district. You're not playing the game now. More than effort, you're playing the district. Because if you want to get into one of those spots, you have to be looking at all the different district events to see what is what's the strategy there. What's the meta in each of those different events? And then finally, when you get to state, you gotta win state. You have that is where you have to win the game. Finally, um, but I also think like I'm kind of you know. I've been clamoring about it since it happened. It's weird to have two championships, even though the reality is it helps in terms of allowing more teams to be able to get into to get into the world championships, to have that staged moment. But I think getting back to one championship, and if it continues on, awesome, honestly, I think it forces teams to think more competitively. Like, I got to fight for this. I can't just rest on my laurels i can't just rest on the fact of um of district points i have to make sure every single match i'm fighting for that point yeah. so it's important and i think if anything this change with there only being nine i believe the breakdown is three of those nine are the three state championships winners and then four of those go to awards with two eis one chairman's and one rookie all-star which only with if there's no overlap if every if the, everything is independent that leaves only two other teams to be the quote-unquote district points which will most more often than not the way the points have looked out be the top the the captain and the first pick of that finalist alliance so i think something teams need to prioritize is not only do you have to win your events is you have to seed high because a lot of the district points come from 
being that alliance captain or that first pick. So chasing the ranking point this year, you can't just do what Ottawa has done in the past of like, we're just going to score really good. doesn't matter where we rank. You, you are going to have to rank well if you want to make it to Worlds. Yeah, it's so for those who are new and don't understand the district, district point system, typically if you win a district qualifier, you get about 70 points. Uh, at states, those points are tripled. So you get 210 for that same thing that you would have got at District 1, right? So you don't have to win every one. So there's a couple ways to get in. One is you win a lot of qualifiers, right? So you bank, bank those points. Or just sort of make it a season-long progression where like we're just trying to get better every time. But at states, we need to be on our, on our game right. and try to get to the finals. You do. Now what... Uh, Thomas, one thing that you brought up earlier, what was that point differential that looked like, you know, before we went into this weird time of COVID? What did that look like for uh, 2019? What did that so point spread look like? So in 2019 with the 17, sorry, let me pull it up. Yeah. Um, with the the 17 teams getting in, the lowest qualifier, 4468, got in with 157 total of district points. Um, whereas the team that would have gotten in this with this year's world 832 had 258 and that was the so there's definitely a significant if you're not chasing the chairmans or the the uh, other culture awards you're going to need to be on on the money to get those to, to get to world so you're going to need about 258 district points and going for the cultural awards even now I think is going to be even more interesting because for a lot of these teams you know, I think Georgia um, has had it a little bit, I probably would say easier in being able to get out a little bit more to be able to do outreach. But even still, uh, going out for outreach has been hard during these times. And so I'm wondering with those culture type awards, we're going we're gonna to have to, I think, see a, a game changer in terms of how outreach is done. That's what you're gonna have to, you're gonna be seeing those culture awards between what you're doing with chairmans in terms of that outreach versus an EI where you know it's a traditionally like a team a team built award. So how is your team built? How is how, what's the standard on your team as well as what are you doing outside of your team? So I think it's going to come down to um, how how logistically. Are you taking what we've learned in these last two years with COVID and everything else? And as we move forward with bill processes, as we move forward with all logistic processes, how are you making that into being an award-winning team? The other thing that changes uh, with this year is that uh, we've dropped from five district events to four. So Ooh. when you get to state championships, you're talking about a competition between four Chairman's Awards winners that one of them is going to win, and then four EI awards that are coming from the district level that two of them are going to win. So right. that competition tightens up a little bit because we're only talking about four district events instead of five. And, and we do have a lot of teams that have stepped up their game to be able to be Chairman's Awards and EI winners. Like that vacuum that was created by Kel now is filled with a lot of teams that are like, I can be, I can be that model team. Mm-hmm. All right, um, so for some other changes, uh, again, getting back to the, our, our events, is looking, taking a peek at the PCH uh, schedule for the upcoming season. So obviously, all teams have registered for their events to this point, so we have a sense of the level of difficulty or perceived difficulty per events um, based off of kind of teams' track records. Uh, so Brian, I think you've done a bit of looking into the PCH schedule. What events really pop out in your mind? Um, 
being the first event being Dalton, I think that one's pretty stacked. Um, all the, you know, if you look at the top teams the past few years are going to be there. Uh, it's going to be very interesting how they play, especially with the first first event. Uh, you know, I expect, uh, you know, Walton to do well. Um, with, with the loss of uh, ECR and um, 1102 making magic, there's probably about four or five really strong bots that can actually lead the, their alliance champion to the win. So, I mean, if I'm looking here, you know, so taking a look at Dalton, because as we always say, like being one of those honestly prototype teams to go out, see how the game's played and how it works, you know, it's a week two event, so you at least have uh, some time to be able to kind of figure out a little bit more of the meta of the game and just see how it works in gameplay. But, you know, for Dalton, a lot of these teams are perennial, like we're going to be at that first event to see how it works. Obviously, Auto is going to be at the event. You have IHOP1414, Kel, you have Oscar. I mean, all these all these teams, Walton. and 68, and Walton, obviously, and obviously 6829 as well. And so I think it will come down to at that event of one, uh, I think it comes down to scouting as well, because I think taking the right data at that second event after you figured out what happened in week one will be essential to being, I think if you are probably within, you probably need that balance alliance for this game. Being in the in that first in those first three seeds is going to help, I think, with that that effort. Yeah, and I think this year more than any other year is unique in that um, you're going to be you're you're, you're not saying that you're going to see more upsets, but the fact that due to the limitation in the amount of balls, I can very well see this year being one of the most competitive years elims wise because the sh if you're if you're a team that already has two really good scorers, you're not going to want that third. So all the good scoring threats are going to end up spread out down especially at deeper events. But I think when you have games like and we'll talk more about the game later. When you have when you have had games repeatedly, we've had two years of a shooting game. Yeah. We have a third year now of a shooting game. I think we have had more than enough examples to for teams to be able to go back to to be able to figure out how to create a sustainable shooter. So I think shooters are probably it's it's not just gonna be shooters. It's going to be the the it's going to be the the strategy people like it's going to be the Kellens that's going to figure out okay how do I game this to be able to get to a finals how am I going to game this to be able to get to a finals it's like 2015 I think it was 2015 or 2014 with Peachtree where it's like you had to basically figure out that strategy so that you can basically flip the averages and be uh, Walton in 1261 I believe in that year. That's going to be how it's going to come down to strategy because shooters, I think, are going to be plenty. It's going to come down to, it's going to come a lot down to just strategy, which I think Dalton being that first event, that's going to be where you're going to have to be able to come straight out the gate with a good strategy. And there's huge district point implications for that first event. Ooh, um, yeah. Which, with all those powerhouse teams being there, if you're not again in the finals or championship champions of that event, those district points are going to. You're going to have to find them at your second event. Um, but the other interesting part about that is usually there's an event that kind of sticks out as the you know, precursor or preview of what a state championship is going to look like. In this case, that's our very first event of the season. And I think, I don't think Dal Dalton's going to be a, a show to watch, but I think teams are going to learn a lot between yeah. weeks two and week six yeah. when district championships happen. So I think 
We'll get a glimpse of what high-level play like, might look like, but it's going to be yeah. quite a show at uh, state champs by the time we get there in week six. True. True, true, true. All right, uh, moving on uh, for some other, uh, one last thing for anything that's changed. Um, at this point, uh, nothing has been announced from Georgia First in that there's going to be any changes to our head caps on event restrictions for head count. Um, but something we'd advise teams to be ready for is just being flexible and prepared for any changes or restrictions that might come out. Um, what, something we learned heavily during July heat or grits is that you have to have a very prepared strategy plan if you're doing your strategy off-site. Strategy and scouting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's, uh, what else do you think teams should plan for in, in the event that there is a headcount restriction? In the event that there's a headcount restriction, I think teams should nominate a designated communications person who's at who's one of the people who's at their event, especially strategy-wise. Who their job isn't necessarily only to do this, but their job is to answer the phone when the strategy people call and to call the strategy people when there's a question to be asked. Um, I think that type of delegation is going to be really important. So there's a clear line of I need to take to somebody. I call this person because it's their job, um, and that and that type of thing will ease the type of growing pains there are when you have a significant part of your team, especially with this year being, a, as Kyle said, a very a year that's really dependent on strategy. You need to have something that this person that's on the remote site will call this person, and vice versa, who's at the event. That way, there's not nothing ends up being muddled. I think another thing that that's actually really good a communications person, but I think. A second thing is I think teams, and I, and I say this for students and mentors alike, I think that they have to be ready to be flexible and versatile. You know, a lot in FIRST and in FRC specifically, we can sometimes get very siloed into we're doing just mechanical, we're doing just electrical, we're doing just these things, which there, there are positions for that. But if we're talking about very restricted, very restricted uh counts that's going to require people to stretch outside of their of their normal kind of expectations of what they would do in an event because you're you're dealing with those lower counts so you may have someone that would usually be just maybe a freshman that's usually uh maybe just shadowing whatever else they may be have to may have to be ready to jump in when need be so it's going to be important to Take into account everything that's happening. Kind of just take it up like a sponge. Like whatever is in front of you, take that time to learn because it may come into play when you're at one of these events. Because as we know, whether you're on pit crew, whether you're on drive teams or whatever else, there are split-second decisions that need to be made. And you have to be ready like as a team member to say, I'm calm, I'm collected, and I can handle this situation as a stakeholder in this getting like settled. And I, and I think something else that's important with the state of the world, I think teams are – more than any other year, I think I really recommend that teams have a first and second string with a lot of their key positions mm. to bring to events. Um, where in years past, it, it was very unlikely that you might lose a drive team member because they're your most um, committed members. Nowadays, that it, it's a, it couldn't be out of their control. So I really recommend that teams have – they're practicing not just their drive team but have – practicing a second drive team and also practicing like just swapping out and randomizing to where you have and one eight person drive team where everybody knows how to work with everyone else 
and just in the event of if if you're all of a sudden your driver has COVID, and same with the pit crew as well. And I think it'd be very beneficial and like make sure instead of having all your kids be this kid's just an expert and I'm an expert in electrical. Don't make them an expert in electrical. Say okay, you're good at already good at electrical. Don't be an expert. Go be good at something else. Um, that way you have the ultimate coverage just in case people aren't able to go to events. And I think that and the communication, I think that will be the road for more success in the event of limited attendance and outbreaks. And so part of that is, you know, this year's a little different, right? And so if we're in a rest restricted headcount event, it's really important for teams to start getting connected with other teams because when you do that scouting, you're going to need that help and collaboration. Uh, I agree about the communication. That's one of the issues that, you know, I found at Grits was, you know, the scouting team was back uh, remote. And I'm like, can you give me, an, you know, g give me some information for the pick, right? Uh, and then they have somebody else talking to the person on the field because it's very strange to be in that disconnected environment. Um, even at the competition, if you're having problems, talk to the other teams because this year more than any, you're, you're going to need to get through this together and help each other out, you know, do, you know, share scouting data and all that kind of fun stuff. And patience. I think that's going to be key. I think I figured that out with the July heat event and grits. It's patience. Like, you know, we, we always say gracious professionalism, have it, you know, show it to your, your team and to other teams as well, as well as your volunteers. But I think that really kind of comes into key here uh, for this next year because there's going to be a lot of new things that we're trying out and we're having to kind of navigate around. So patience with that, as well as just being able to, to make sure that you are communicating with um, Georgia First on a regular basis and making sure that you know your contacts, know who to contact for the senior mentor, making sure that if you're having issues, making sure to contact Connie or the uh, people on the planning, the planning committee, because at the end of the day, we can only be as good as our weakest, as we our weakest part. And so it really comes down to making sure that you are not going last minute to ask questions that can honestly be asked at the beginning of the season because Georgia First is here to help all of our teams to make sure that they can get to the finish line. And so it's important to speak up when you need to speak up. I think a lot of great comments there. Uh, key, key takeaway, be ready for, be ready for anything. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, obviously a lot of changes in PCH this year. Uh, I think there is a lot of exciting opportunity lying ahead. Um, speaking of that opportunity, let's get into the excitement. Let's talk about this new game. What are some initial reactions to this game? Too many teams are going to build a swerve drive this year. And <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> Too many teams. I cannot stress this enough. Listen. Look this at the camera right there. Look at the camera. It would be an open field <laughs> to not build a swerve drive. Don't do it. It's a trap. Listen, you may have built a swerve drive for July heat or grits or what have you. Do not do it. There, there's a difference to when you're playing a game the second time than playing a new game this year. I think... If anything, teams should go simple this year. Teams are greener than they ever have been. Those big boy teams we like to all harp on, they're pretty much at everyone's on a level playing field of being at ground zero. I know personally on auto, we have just one student who has been full, been through a full actual FRC season before still on the team since 2019. Only The only people who have been through, realistically, a full FRC season on these teams are seniors. And I think, if anything, we should be teams in the district should be focused on getting the knowledge from those seniors down to the lower students. And the best way to do that 
go simple. Okay. So, counterpoint. <laughs> counterpoint. I like it. I Listen, like it. counterpoint. <laughs> Swerve drives create great content. Yes. Content <laughs> is king. So, if you create a Swerve drive, I'm not going to be mad at it because it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. So, I, counterpoint. I, I agree that Swerve Drive is simultaneously the best decision and, and the, the worst. worst decision. <laughs> like, this is an open field game, like 2014 vibes here. I am so excited. And that's that's one thing that makes me annoyed, annoyed of why couldn't this have been the 2019 game? If this was a 2019 the, game, the state of the district was in, it would have been insane. Well, Everyone would have gone Swerve and done I, so well. I will hope, and I. I, I don't know the game design committee personally, but I would think you had multiple years to be able to come out with a banger of a game like for 2022 for us to be able to say, we're coming back in person. Let's figure out how we're going to say, stay in this program. And I think this game combines a, a lot of the best elements from uh, places like 2014 where you talk about aerial assist where we talk about the open field to 2013 when you talk about ultimate ascent with uh, the climbing option to when you talk about uh, our middle of the field you have your 2012 2016 uh, now 20 was it 19 20 was it 19 20 21 yeah like shooting games like you have a game that kind of encompasses a lot of abilities for people to start out from ground zero but to ascend so high with the robot yeah and i think something that this year the the, the, the game that remind this game reminds me the most of isn't the 2014s or the 2013s 2009? It's, the, it's it's 2017 for one oh, okay. reason alone i think there's going to be at the highest level of play in this game it's, it's going to devolve to a game of chicken of who's shooting last <laughs> which it, just to watch just like in 2017 watching okay that is there's a, going to be a careful line that teams have to have of do I keep shooting or do I go climb? And like in 2017 uh, St. Louis Finals, a team stopped shooting early, went to go climb, and that's the reason why 254 won St. Louis is because they kept shooting the other team didn't. And I think this year with – I don't think on Einstein you're going to see bots going for the highest rung. I think it's going to end up being let's shoot as much as possible and get as much people on the lower two rungs. <laughs> Depending on how quickly you can get to that high yeah. bar, right. reversal bar, because if you can score, was it 15 points in one fell swoop? Yeah. That's yeah. I, that's the equivalent of uh, what? Is it 15 or 16? Uh, it's 15, 15, you need 16 for the RP. There you go. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. you're talking about then – so the equivalent is then 15 low goals or – what seven, seven and a half? Well, seven and a half high. You're goals. gonna get the six, you know, the six point for the low, right? The low, the low, the low rung. So it's really a nine point differential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I was actually surprised it wasn't a pick and place game. I was actually thinking it'd go that. I mean, we had two years of a shooter. I think it plays well with what we have this year as far as our experience. We got a lot of junior people on teams, but it's a game they're kind of familiar with. Right. It's, bot wise, it. It's similar to 2020. You can take a lot of that stuff and redesign it and sort of play this game. I like the open field because I think there's going to be a lot of defense. There's not a lot of places where you can protect yourself and shoot and not be harassed. Defense wins championships. <laughs> That's one of the first things I look, look for in a game, uh, particularly shooting games, is where is the safe place? Yeah. Yeah. And there, there is are no, no safe, safe places. places. There's, there's a couple safe places, but there, there is it's not really to shoot from those safe places. Exactly, it's terrible. Those, there I is significant not... distance away from the goal. Yeah, yeah I think if, like, 
And I and I think that's beautiful because in years past, if you look at like in 2020, the last shooting game we had, you couldn't play defense on anybody because the two no. safe zones. No. You had great shots well, from. So from that from the, the what, that protected zone, I forget what it's called, right? You're closer than we are making shots from the switch in 2020, and we're right. shooting those in. So it's a nice big wide target. It's like three feet in diameter. And your ball's only 10, and yeah, you're coming but down. But the goal low. is like this instead of like this. What yeah, but you see, but, but <laughs> the ball is oblong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're going to lob it like 2017, right? So you're going to lob it like 2017, but I want to really talk a little bit more about this defense. So. Talking a little bit, t- talking a little bit like about these rules, right? So, what is defense going to look like? Because for me, I was thinking immediately with 2014, the uh, the nickname that we came up with for the game instead of uh, aerial assist was aerial assault, because literally you are smashing into other robots at high speeds. Like you're talking like football, football style, like hard hits. So what is this game going to look like with defense? I with think it's hit the robot that is sitting still hoping to shoot. I think that's the and that that's and then tr- trying to prevent them from being in zones and shepherding them. Um this year is partic- they are very few places a to get balls and they're very few balls in general. Um so I think the there's going to be the defense of hitting people and then there's also the defense of just sucking their opponent if there's no if you're on the blue alliance and you're you know, you're playing. If you're playing defense, you're going to going to be scoring for the blue alliance. Pick up two red balls and just keep those red balls in your robot the entire match, because that's two less opportunities for the robots to score. And I think there's going to be legitimate strategy centered around starvation. Well, we can't score, but you can't either. Exactly, you know? starvation. It's literally we've we and I think it's different for this game, where I think. One of the few first games, I'm not just talking about FRC, I'm talking about like all the different like leagues. There's only been one game that I can think of where it can come down to starvation, like like this can get to, which is like a twenty twelve a twenty twelve FTC game where literally the state championship was decided by one ring. Like the robots fought for two and a half minutes over one ring and it all came down to just dropping the ring in the right place. This is that type of game where it can come down to literally you can like you guys said, it's playing chicken. You can take up all those balls and it's just down to uh who's gonna get that last shot. Right. If you think about it, there's eleven balls in the field, right? If you have a lead against an alliance you're you're trying to outgun, if you grab all all three bots grab two, there are five balls left. Two, their two bots are going to have four of them. So that means one ball's on the field, and you can stand between them and that one ball, and they have to wait seven seconds for the balls to come back out and stop bouncing before they can get another cycle in. And you also have to con- count in as well. That's not including, are, like, are we thinking contact as well? Because there's going to be harassment on a whole nother level. Well, oh, yeah. so drawing comparisons to 2020, a lot of teams, you start on the Auton line, obviously, in 2020. Right. A lot of teams are like, oh, if I'm shooting there for Auton, I may as well shoot there for all my shots. But it's not a protected zone. No. So <laughs> a lot of teams got, and they got away with it for most of qualifications and ranked highly because of it. But the meta changed. But then you hit eliminations, and the strategy entirely changes. The other alliance knows where you're shooting from. Right. And if you don't have a designated sweet spot, or you can't get to the designated sweet spot, as you can kind of see on the field diagram, we got uh, 
I have four close shots you can get to. Four um, close ones. Um, for having a nice square layup shot like you would have right on the wall in, in front of the 2020 goal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how teams use their more visible two of those four uh, shooting spots to shoot from. Defenders. Defenders. Well, and, and how defenders will impact yeah, their ability to shoot from those places. Um, because, again, your, your defender's not going to have a great view on those two spots that the other team's shooting from. True. I, I will say in this game, it does. it is also a big strategy of you're having to figure out in the beginning of, okay, which line station am I going to be in? Because that's also your visibility. Like, if you're in that number one spot on the Alliance station, you're done. <laughs> it's not even that you're done, but you do have to make sure that vision is a key component in that type of design because you need to be able to have that visibility no matter if you're in Alliance station one two or three especially in late in the match if you're in, in elims if you have the two climbing teams and one team that is staying out scoring if you're that team that's staying out scoring and you're in the line station once oh what, what am i supposed to do i can't see because there are robots climbing in front of my face i think that's going to be a very interesting thing um where i i'd hope that first would say like at champs where you can say as an alliance as an alliance captain say okay my person my people are going to be in this alliance station alliance station alliance station i wish they would do that in all all eliminations brackets at, at the district events. And to make a call out here uh, for an excellent resource, uh, the team should look into as early as possible. Uh, Automation Direct also releases a VR version of the field. Uh, so you can experience the full field in VR without having to build the full field at your uh, facility. So make sure you, if you have the capability or if you know some other teams with the capability, is, is get a VR set on and get, get that view from what Player Station 1 looks like. Um, so check out, I think it's posted on first website for a link to Automation Direct's VR field. But take advantage of that resource. Automation Direct, sponsor of 1746 Auto. <laughs> the game animation was actually, the game animation the last couple of years that every team watches is made by 1746 alumni. That is true. Is that is true. Yeah. Yeah, so it's awesome to see those, uh, those uh, alumni from way back in the day when 1746 got started uh, still making a huge impact in first. So I do actually want to bring up something as well now that we're br bringing up 1746 and I, we were, were bringing up the climbing option. Are we going to see teams that are going to be climb strategists? Like they're going to literally just master the climb. Like in, I believe it was 2013 with 1746, that was the robot. Literally starting, starting off going from level one to level two, level three, they could do it like with no problems whatsoever. I, I, I think we will see that. I don't think teams should um, for just strictly one reason. It, if you're chasing the ranking point, which teams definitely should, it's unique in years past where you could get that ranking point by just being only one team getting that high bar. Um, 2020 is a little bit different. Um, but like in 2019, if just one team got in that third level, all another team needed to do was park, and then you get the ranking point. I think it's a lot easier for teams to get that ranking point if they prioritize just scoring as many balls in the logo as possible. But if you're talking about winning matches, if yeah. the one singular action you can pull off yeah. scores 15 points. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at, you know, if, that's one thing I noticed in this game. The, the value of climb is not as significant as previous games. In 2020... 
you get 35 points for a level climb in a qualification match you're getting you know 70 points that's half the score it's gonna be less than 20 percent roughly of the total score so you know the value is gonna be in shooting i think the easy ranking point is or the easier ranking point would be the shooting one um, so i would focus on scoring because that's also going to help you win the game so i am i'm, I'm going to be herm edwards for a second talking about playing the district how many teams do you think are going to be going to just strategize into climbing or strategize into defense uh how many how many rookies do we have <laughs> so i think the the Typical defense bot in PCH is never really intentionally built for defense. It's always, we have attempted to score, we have attempted to climb. We don't have those functionalities, out. we're reverting to defense. Sure. I, would, I don't think very many will, because I think if you look at 1261 in 2020, and they, build off, they built every bot, and we're very effective. Every bot this year will be very effective. Mm. And so you don't have to be a defense bot. You could build something very easily following that pattern and have a fun time playing this game. Yeah, and if and if you are looking for defense, look no further than 1771 with their Baltic Birch masterpiece. I don't think they have Luis driving that puppy anymore, but nah, we all know like, Christopher nah, Wilson like, will uh, nah. tell Be them to go lay down the hammer. Because Luis still coaches them. So they did that at July Heat and at uh, Grits, and I saw him coaching that second team to – like a nice, nice defense being played. So, so I think on that sense, instead of ig ignoring defense until it's your team's only option, I'd r highly recommend understanding how to best play offense for this game, but also understand how to best play defense for this game. So if, if the situation arises, you're ready for it instead of just figuring it out on the fly. I would like to ask a question. So if we're scratching off Swerve, are we also scratching off McCannums? McCannums should oh. never be used, yeah. ever. <laughs> exactly. I, whoever, whoever uses that to drive, it's like you have the bad stuff about Swerve and the bad stuff about I can't push anybody. Yeah. I, at, at Albany in 2019, uh, we were 3v1 in our first match, and Reset Revives comes over and starts playing defense against us. We're like, really? You're going to win this match? But they had mechanisms. We're like, fine. We pushed them halfway across the field. But please leave us alone. Let us try. Right? It's just content. <laughs> I think the only argument for in that case, if, especially if a mechanism is trying to play defense, is essentially just park in front of the one wall on the other side's team on the other side of the goal in order to try blocking off one of those close shots. So, in regards to Kyle's comment about heavy defense, right? Understand how to build quality bumpers. Quality, yeah, quality bumpers, bumpers. <laughs> and not just quality bumpers because that's important, but also a quality system and subsystem when you're talking about the actual structure of the robot. You don't want something that is uh, that's sliding that's sliding a bunch. You want something that can be robust, that can get in and out of matches, and especially for design, just des some design considerations. You want something that can be either you can either I easily replace when you're talking about having to replace stuff, or just in general a tank of a robot. Design it to take some hits. I think more than every year, if you're building something, I think I believe there's. I heard stories of teams where they, they build it, they test it, it's like, all right, let's go, and they drive it full speed into wall. And, like, drive robots, design them to be able to drive just full bore into walls. Like full send. Full yeah. send, because that's going to happen. And it's going to be worse because you're going to have – there are going to be multiple times where you have two robots coming from opposite sides of the fields going full speed, hitting each other. And you want to make sure 
4188 lost world championships because they got hit so hard it tripped a breaker. Um, and they ended up dead in a, in a penalty zone. So it's, you, you, you're going to want to be build your robots to be robust. Yeah, true. We have some initial reactions there to the game. I think we went a little long on uh, some of our takes. <laughs> and the design. We did talk about design as well. We've, we've talked a little bit more about design as well. Yeah. Because, like, realistically, right, we've talked about uh, when we're talking about the shooting aspect of the game, we've had three three plus years of basically shooting at this point. So a lot of that in terms of the goals is it's easy to reach that goal of being able to make those shots. And especially now that you're not having to worry about a specific uh, going through the, that inner port where you're having to do a lot of programming to be able to get precisely in there. Now it's just a nice lob shot. Although you pro you are going to want a good bit of programming, so that is just a nicely tuned shot. But in terms of a nice goal is just to be able to get to have that nice shot, have a nice high shot and a nice low shot. Especially low shot, not to have a shot that's going to bounce out easily. You obviously have the chains that are there, but just have that nice low shot and a nice high shot. I well, think that's an easy goal. And we'll segue from there uh, on on shooting. Uh, high goal or low goal? I think I think being able to do both is going to be really really valuable. I think when you're in. Um, when you're in quals and you're chasing that ranking point, being able to just to dump as many balls as possible to the low goal is going to be really, really valuable. But once you get to where eliminations, where it's not necessarily where you're trying to make as much points out of every cycle you do, being able to quickly pivot and go, okay, I shoot high goal now, I think that that's going to be really, really, really re beneficial and might catch some teams by surprise if they're not keeping track of what you're able to do. I think being able to have that surprise factor of surprise, I'm high goal now, that that will be a very very beneficial for some teams. I think a lot of this will seem like 2016, right? Mm -hmm. The low goalers were ended up being the, usually the first and second alliance. They were captain, right? Uh, but they always needed the shooters from there. They did. Um, and maybe as season goes on, that becomes more shooters overall. But I think early on, it's going to be good. The other thing is the benefit of the low goal. It's a five-second drop time instead of seven. Right. The balls aren't bouncing, and they roll out on the floor kind of where you're at, so they can probably be clearer, nearer to the, the, tar the, to the fender and the target than you mm -hmm. would normally be. So, Brian, one quick question. What do you think the ideal cycle time would look like? Let's talk about uh, for, let's say, a week two event, and then let's say – as we get down to maybe a state championship. What does that first cycle time look like for, let's say, a high and a low, starting off, and then as we get to state, what do you think it would look more like, ideal? I think with defense, my, I'm not sure you're gonna get a lot of like nine and 10 cycles. I think you're gonna probably get closer to state probably around eight cycles. Eight, you know, okay. it's It's a short field, almost like 2019, right? But there's, so much defense and the balls are so unpredictable. You know, if it comes out on the far side of the tower, right. you're going to have to go get it because at some point they're running out of balls on this side. Uh, so I think, you know, what I sort of did when we started analyzing the game was like, I can't predict where they're going to come out. Well, I might have to go halfway across the field or it might come out here and take an average. It's, it's really kind of hard to figure that out. But uh, I think that also comes into time to the play of, are you depending it? So, you know, we have games that are 6v1 sometimes, 
But I think this is a game where it really is going to come into communication with your other teammates to be able to lessen those those cycles because you're going to have that you're going to have a shooter you're going to have uh, maybe a robot that's going to focus a lot solely on more defense but honestly more rebounding like if you think about like a um, like a 1002 back in 20, 2009 uh, 2009 they had uh, they had a robot that literally just sucked up balls that was the, the literal only point of the robot but it allowed them to be able to feed the balls where it needed to be to the right shooters. And especially in this type of game, you need to be able to have those robots that can, uh, like if you have a, rob a alliance of two shooters and one rebounder, that rebounder can be that person to be able to help on the other side to get those balls back over to those main shooters. Because at the end of the day, if you can have that one person to make sure that those balls those balls get back yeah, yeah, then yeah. you're able to be more efficient with your cycle times versus if you have your three shooters and basically you may be shooting on you may be shooting at one single part but luck is on the other side they're coming out onto the other side so you're having to interrupt your cycles to go back around yeah. in essence i think if you're if you're three bot your defensive bot playing defense once they sort of get around you if they can herd balls to your side that'll be very valuable yeah i think every team should build an intake in some way to just hold and spit out balls in that sense i think it so i think there's a ton of value in that ball control but if teams are asking the question of do i need to shoot high goal in order to play this game is i'd highly recommend to you is that you can you can create a ton of value for your alliance by only scoring low goal you, if you, you score can. low goals all day you're you're going to contribute and your alliance's partners are going to be happy about it but district yeah. conversation is would that is that going to make sense in every district, or is that going to make sense just here in Georgia? I think I think it's going to be unique in that I think you could see a low goal team making a deep run at Worlds just because of how again there people are going to run out of balls, and so if you're able, I think you're probably going to be able to starve out. It's a numbers game, right? If I can score twice as much low goal as you can high goal, it doesn't matter if that's your high goal shooter. And that third bot on a championship alliance or state championship alliance is likely going to be playing a comparable role to that. So if you can be prepared as a robot to, or as a team to play that role. Uh, well, I'll, I'll point to 2016. Right? Okay. At states, the number one and two, the number one and two seats out of qualifications were low goal bots. They were not high goal shooters. And now, shooters have come a long way since that time. Exactly. I mean, I, I was re-watching those uh, a few weeks ago, and it's like, wow, where we're at now with COTS and our experience, uh, it may be a little different, but it's still going to be very effective. Yeah, especially, you know, when you have the ability for our Destination Einstein facilities, you have a lot of the teams locally just working together, filling their ideas together. Like, we, I don't think it's going to be an issue to have really consistent robots now i i'm still i'm still of the opinion if you if you're playing if you play the district and then you're playing the game i think low local robot to specialize like you can but i think at the end of the day it's going to come down to if you're at the world championship you're on an einstein field like what does that what does that look like and i feel like you're going to have like a an alliance where you're going to have more more high goal than low goal but I, 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 can, I can nearly guarantee you that the top tier teams in the world, if they know they're going to win a match, they're scoring low goals all match. 
because that's going to be their way to get that RP instead of True. No, instead you're right. of shooting a harder uh, two-point uh, two goal. While it's more points, if they have a good feeling they're going to win the match, especially from likely climb points, it's a lot easier to score 20 balls in a low goal than it is the high Especially goal. Especially if you're, if, you're, if you're making an efficient cycle time, right. then you can. Then well, the other yeah, thing is if you think about restricted size at Worlds, and you, mm. as you talked about, you have to be the basically the next highest point winners at Georgia. Mm -hmm. I would guess they're going to be high goal shooters. You're probably going to have less low goalers going to Worlds, or at least specialized low goalers going to Worlds. There will be one specialized low goal who, goaler who's guaranteed to be to Worlds, and that's going to be the third pick of that uh, that state championship team. Yep. I think if there's if there's any year to specialize, if we want to be that third pick, this is the year to do it. And rookie all star. And rookie all star. Okay. All right, uh, moving on from high goal, low goal, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the ways of earning those uh, ranking points. Uh, so obviously, if you win a match, you get two ranking points. If uh -huh. you tie, you'll get one in per alliance. You lose, you get zero. Mm -hmm. But even if you lose, there's ways to get uh, extra ranking points. We're talking about getting 16 combined points on, the, Climb. uh, on climbs, as well as then scoring either 20 or 18, if you should be really good not on. Uh, which which of those two RP do you think is going to be easier access for I think Georgia teams? The easiest access one is going to be the 18 balls, just because that is oh. the only one that's theoretically able to be done by just one robot. Like you're, if you if you want to get the climbing, the climbing, not only do you need to have more than one robot climbing, but you need to have in order the the easiest way to get the hanger point is to have one team on the high rung or one team on the mid rung. You're going to need to have a team that is able to get, who's able to move across the bars. Um, it, it is not possible to get that ranking point with just two teams on the low rung or one team on the mid rung. You're going to need to be able to go across the rungs. So in that case, I'm thinking about with the cargo bonus as well. Do you think it's going to be a, a situation? I'm thinking from all the way from auto to auto autonomous to the end game. When you're dealing with that, are we going to see a lot more quintets happ happening in auto where that means the 20 drops to 18 for I later on? I think that's something that a lot of teams should chase. But is it going to happen, do you think, in the district? I think quintets are going to be pretty rare. Um, the okay. ability for an alliance in PCH to routinely score five uh, cargo in Auton is a significant challenge. Uh, there are going to be teams that have ridiculous Autons that can score five cargo by themselves in Auton, but I don't think we're going to see any five cargo Autons in PCH. I think we're going to see a handful of three cargo Autons, but then counting on your Alliance members to score their two is, is still a you know, stars aligning kind of thing. That I, don't I don't think we're going to see that happen too often, but I still think we're going to see a, uh, quite a few... I think we're going to see more cargo RPs than we are going to see climbing RPs. Yeah, I would agree. I think climb, if you look at uh, Grits, right, they're, they had you know, basically two years, and we still only had a handful of climbers there, right? It wasn't a lot. So I think um, if you try to take that and now make it so you can climb and traverse rungs would be more than I would bite off, especially this year. Um, the way the balls are positioned, there's kind of hard to get nice, easy paths to get them. Um, additionally, I think Kellen was saying beforehand, you know, if you get four in, maybe a human player can throw one in and try to get that. 
Uh, but even the, the double climb RP at Grits wasn't very frequent, right? It wasn't. The, the RNG gave you bots that you know, you needed to get enough. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and even if you have the, the right climbing robots, I think climbing this year, based off of visibility from the driver stations, and that it's tucked in a corner, and that there is a post restricting mm -hmm. access, there's not a lot of room to climb in there. Right. But I think it's going to you, you're going to need a lot of good communication to say, all right, who's going in first? Are they all the way against the wall so there's room for the other two? Uh, having that conversation, I think, there, uh, again, a lot of difficulty to make that RP happen. I, I will say this, though. If teams manage your schedule, right, and right. stay, they, have a, a, they come up with a clear goal, and they build towards that goal. Right. And if they, you know, if, if they don't do the everybot, but they do a, their version of a low-goal score, and execute that, I think you're, you're more likely to get more RPs in the double climbs of 2020 because that was hard and pulling off an every bot is easier. It is. And so I would, I would say uh, maybe three or four out of your 12 matches you might be able to pull it off. Three or four? Okay. And I think even there, like I was looking looking at the board, when you're talking about um, the specifics of that climb, you're, and it's funny that we're dealing with it with this game with Rapid React, talking about shipping and everything else. You're going to have to have that team that's going to be in that line station you're, there. You're cut, use it, show it on the blue side because you cover up the red. Sure, lines. good point. So... That first alliance station is going to be key as a director to be able to help manage to do that that hanger bonus basically every single time. You're it's it due to RNG. You're going to have to depend on that. Hopefully, you're going to either have a drive team coach that's able to basically manage that climb over on this side of the field with that visibility, or you're going to have to basically just hope, like in uh, some situations in our district possibly where you're going to have those mess ups where teams are going to basically be in that wrong positioning so it's really going to come down to making sure for that hanger bonus if you're going to try to go for it that you are ready to either manage as a person that's not already in this station uh, or you're going to have to be able to be patient and willing to receive instruction if you are the team in that in that space right there because you're dealing with a smaller, if you think about it, you're dealing with a smaller Alliance Station space in this time. If I remember correctly, you're dealing with a smaller Alliance Station, just slightly. Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of small detail that teams should consider instead of just saying, "Oh, we're going to climb." Talk about those uh, that communication or that uh, movement that's going to need to take place at the end of the match. The quicker you can climb, the better. Um, for any low-resource teams out there, I'd highly recommend watching how climbing worked in 2013 in that teams with static climbers with no moving parts were able to just latch onto the low rung and get off the ground. I'd highly recommend looking into that design. With the low rung being able to rotate, are those, is that going to be... Yeah, it's still a, they'll rotate, but your robot's still driving into it. The, yeah. Yeah. That you'll still be able to get up and off the ground, so that's an easy four points uh, without without any moving parts on your robot. So, Pretty much. 
if if you don't have a climber or or you're not you're thinking about not having one, maybe consider that as a simple option. Well, that would also that would almost go into what was the design? I think it was twenty was it twenty thirteen or fourteen? Twenty thirteen, I think sixteen forty eight's design. I think it was. I wasn't for in having the, the, yeah for having the pyramid for just driving. In yeah, they literally just drove. They drove forward. They hit that that bottom bar, and then they were able to just swing easy. Just it wasn't even a full climber. It's just a nice easy finish. Exactly. So uh, again, another way to contribute to your alliance. Um, let's see. So let's have a a little bit of conversation about what you think the average FRC team should build and maybe what a low-resource FRC team should build. So a couple quick comments. Pick out something for shooting, something for climbing. Uh, what do you think, Thomas? Uh, I think a low-resource team should build a robot with a static climber um, and something that can just... I'm thinking of like the power dumpers in uh, 2018 yeah. of that were just, you know... you. You store your balls on the top of your robot, so much they had stored their cubes, and you're just dumping stuff into your location and being able to be and be the ball batteries for the scorers in your Elims Alliance. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the. How about the average FRC team? Uh, also do that, but <laughs> a little bit better. Probably <laughs> well, a little bit better, like probably to the to the second rung. Yeah. Okay. Kyle, any thoughts? All right, so. I would mo I would mostly agree with Thomas. I think for a low a low resource team, I think it's going to come down to um, effective ball management is one. Uh, two, I think the it, being able to score on low goal, uh, just being able to dump, um, and then just in general, I think it, it really will come down to a static climb. But I would also say for a low resource team, I would say definitely uh, make sure. To be able to, like I, I I'm gonna keep saying it. They have to be able to rebound, ef rebound effectively. So I think it's going to come down to making sure that is easy to pick up those balls. It's gonna be easy. Yeah, going for that cargo control. Yes, and cargo control is going to be very key here because, like we said, defense, defense is going to be very high in this game, which means you need to be able to pick it up very quickly and go. Do you have any suggestions on uh, good intakes uh, for this game? <laughs> <laughs> this, this. You know what? I am. Listen. Um, in past years, I have been a uh, a very uh, ardent crit critic of the uh, Walton Robotics team. Um, I had to eat humble pie. This this worked. So um, this could work. Now, uh, could this work for this game? Maybe, uh, but I'd probably say a good wield, a good wield intake. Uh, I think one of the discussions that we were having uh, definitely look at um, some some Velcro, like modified Velcro, to be able to grab onto the ball easily, but to be able to let go of the ball easily. So. But be careful that your Velcro isn't too strong. That's what I was the saying. It has the field to be modified. reset people will come after you. They will. <laughs> that, that is true. But like I, I will say a design like this could possibly work with these types of balls, but I would definitely say 
um, a good wheel to intake or a good bar intake or definitely a modified Velcro intake. And if we're talking about Walton, what if they have the Walton Spoon from 2016? Do you think that would work this year? All right. To, to provide a bit of background on what Kyle's holding here, I believe there was a, a uh, missed episode from 2020 that uh, uh, sadly did not get recorded, but Walton wound up gifting us this uh, this initial, I think, prototype intake roller of theirs, uh, cloudly proclaiming that they had figured out the roller intake. They are no longer <laughs> using the simple, you know, forked intakes. Yeah. Um, but they, they gifted us this intake, uh, with, showing off that they had learned some lessons. With so. several, several quotes, several of them from me, unfortunately. One, one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for some of my comments on those lower, lower average uh, teams, I'd uh, mimic uh, a lot of the comments already <laughs> mentioned for making sure you're building to your resources. But again, focus on driving consistently. Uh, if you can move in Auton, you get a simple, an easy point. Um, if you can you know, shuttle between the, the, the human player and the goal, you can score some points that way. Um, otherwise, I'd yeah, figure out, all right, let's nail down this initial step, and maybe at our second event, we reach for something a little further than that. So mm -hmm. I, I'd suggest teams uh, consider that in, uh, iteration throughout the season off of the bat instead of uh, as you discover problems. I would say look at what you were able to do in 2020. If you're able to do the outer goal and you kind of have a shooter down, you can think about doing the high goal. True. If you had problems with the outer goal, I would strictly look at doing the low goal and have that be the decision matrix. So that way you set yourself up for something you can build and execute. Because like they said, if you, if you don't break down and you can play defense and you can do low goal, you will have an effective robot and you will be going to ELIMS. So considering that, right? So we are in no bag peer we are we're in a no bag type of space right and so i think when you talk about you know best accounting for that no bag i think being able to uh take the time immediately to figure out okay did we do 2020 right can we or 2020 2021 right and being able to handle that outer goal and having that shooter that's already there if not then they have that little bit of space to be able to deal with it, but you have to remember to basically finish, the goal is to finish early. You wanna be able to finish early and get your practice. So to be able to figure out immediately, okay, um, can I actually do this? And if I can't, let me make a plan to be able to iterate because the goal is not to like build is iterative. Like a good build team will take the time to build the, build a finished product, but to figure out a plan to iterate and to figure out those next steps to basically evolve their robot. And I think beyond that, something this game is going to be very, very dependent on, you might have the best robot out there, but if your driver has not been able to drive it as much as another team, you will lose. Yeah. Um, this, this game, similar to 2014, is a driver skill game. Yeah. Get the teams... Even if, you don't, even, <laughs> even if you don't have a completed robot, give your drivers a chassis to drive around and practice on a layout of the field. Let them get a feel for the weight of their robot. If you can think of like, okay, my robot's going to be 95 pounds. Put 95 pounds of weight in a drive chassis and let them practice driving that around. 
It, it, this year, it, it's something I can stress. Simple drivetrain, build something that can take a hit, and build something you can get done fast so your boys in the, with the controllers in their hands can win. So what does a ideal build uh, build schedule look like for this year? What where, where do we expect teams to be able to have a, a pretty much basically completed product where they can start practice and basically be ready for that week two? Where, what are we thinking as an ideal build schedule? Are we thinking schedule? what should happen or what is <laughs> going like, to happen? Because those are two go. very, so very good. Let's, let's tell go. you right here and right now. Otto's showing up to week two with a fully functional robot. And we have you to want to put money on it. <laughs> that has not happened in years. The function that you wanted to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think this year more than any other, especially with the loss of your more experienced students, um, we're going to be very intentional about setting goals, realistic goals off the bat, and having that done uh, early. So uh, like Thomas said, so we can drive the wheels off the thing before Dalton. Right. We're going to show up and be ready um, because we, we need to do that in order to have a chance at qualifying for Worlds. So if we were talking the traditional six-week build schedule, would you say probably like a week? I think you want to be done drive. I think you want to be able to drive end of week four, midway through week five. I think that's I a – that is okay. a very, very no. – um, that's what teams would do. Now, what is going to happen with the vast week majority four of teams, which month maybe we, we might have a little problem. Sure, because but, there's a week four of competition. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It's nice – you know, all plans sort of like – Fall apart at first contact, right? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're trying to you know, go for a week for, right? There's, you have to have discipline to do that, right? Uh, with with g more inexperienced students, you're going to move slower as a team, mm -hmm. uh, and you have to have ways to address that. Either, you know, how do you make up schedule or how do you change functionality? True. Oh, yeah. Luckily, Georgia doesn't have any week one events this year, so True. teams essentially get an extra week of build before their first events. They do. But it's still good to find that those problems. That should be an extra week of practice. Sooner than later. Yep. True. And just like a Walton quality intake, all it takes is for you to be ready to evolve as a team. And then, <laughs> and then also look at the mistakes other teams are making. I think if there's a saying of you need to make 100 mistakes to – be successful in something if someone else has already made that mistake learn from them you don't have to if you've seen copy from other years if there are plenty of resources that teams can look at especially the lower level teams of you don't have to make everything from scratch you can learn from reverse engineering i know um for myself i designed the 2019 elevator from auto doing it from just looking at 148's 2018 cat. I learned a lot doing that. And so don't be afraid to copy. Don't be afraid to ask teams and that type of deal. Yeah, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. This is not like if you want to reinvent the wheel, go ahead. But you don't need to reinvent the wheel. This should be like it should flow as a design. This should not be super hard for you to be able to do. Like it's a challenge, but it shouldn't be something where you're like, you know what we're going to do? Anti-gravity, let's go. No. Yeah. And don't and don't be afraid, <laughs> as much as this sounds bad, don't be afraid to give up on something to make sure everything else works. If if you are spending all your time trying to figure out how to package a climber and a shooter robot and that's just killing you, don't put a climber on it. Just figure make figure out a shooter, 
get that robot shooter designed, everything to where the robot can shoot and do well, and then once that is done and the robot is driving, sit down and figure out how to slap a climber on it. Like, don't... Your robot does not need to have everything on it at once. There's no bag, so you have plenty of time of... This is the robot we want to take to. This is the robot we want to take to Dalton. It's going to shoot. It's not going to climb. And then you're you're intentionally designing stuff throughout the year. So my question to you guys, because I I think for both teams of seventeen forty six and sixty eight twenty nine, you guys have had a little bit more experience in terms of not just iterative designs, but designs that can be quickly um, manufactured and being put onto a robot in case of an emergency situation. Should teams be counting more on that with this no with this no bag policy for this year, and especially with this game? Should teams be expecting to replace things on their robot? I think teams should have plenty of spares and yeah. be expecting to replace yeah. anything and everything that's going to take Especially a hit. Especially if an intake that goes outside of your bumper zone, make sure you bring in spares. Uh, they're they're going to get damaged yeah. um, to be ready for that. Know where, you're, you know, where the failure point is. So it's like we're going to design this to break here instead of break the intake. We're going to replace these bolts and stuff. We've had that, we had that problem in uh, 2018. We're like, that's our sacrificial bolt, right? When we get snapped off, it's just a bolt instead of an arm. Um, I, anyway, something else I was going to say, I forget what it was. <laughs> yeah. Design, design, design things to fail to prevent everything else from breaking. Yeah. Uh, on this, I think, note, we're coming up with some key, you know, uh, notes for teams to take away from this show. Uh, does, as we move towards wrapping up a bit here, does it, What's everybody's key uh, piece of advice for team all PCH teams this season? One one piece of advice from all of us. We'll move on to a, a bit of a fun section here at the, the end. Drive the robot as much as possible. I don't think I can state that enough. Driver practice, driver practice, driver practice. Like I said, if the, it doesn't matter if the team has a prettier robot, a better robot than you. If you can drive circles around it, you can drive circles around it. I think mm -hmm. some of my favorite years to watch, I think in 2019, I forget the team number. I'm sorry, but their robot looked like an HVAC unit, but their driver was amazing. Like, And that team was able to do so well in quals. was consistently picked in elims. It was 47.01, if I'm Yeah, not it was 47.01. <laughs> like, the fact that I remember their, like, that type of thing, do not be afraid to design an ugly robot that drives well. Like, just drive it. Drive, the, drive your pants off it. You, if, even if you can't score, you'll be able to play lights out defense because you're that much a better driver. Okay. Um, for me, I think the big key, I think, to all teams is understand the meta and understand the data. Because I think a big part of this game is going to be uh, the strategy. It's going to be understanding what the numbers look like in terms of your cycles, in terms of the balls that are being able to be scored. But I think you're going to need to understand not just how your, um, your alliance is going to be um, built, but how your opponent's alliance is going to be built. Because at the end of the day... We've talked about this with one championship, with one championship, nine spots, realistically, 10 spots, including Kel. Every single match matters. And so being able to take advantage of the data that comes, not every single p data point is going to bring you the right, the, right, uh, the right solution. Take time to understand what that data is, what that data looks like, and what the significance of that data is. Because if you can do that, you will be able to go into each match 
as a better informed uh, team member, hopefully as a informed captain, and then really being able to be a real winner is going to be a game of data. So I'm going to say something a little different. I'm going to say join the PCH Mentor Slack channel. There's a prototyping channel there. I think teams this year need to help manage their schedule, and teams are sharing some of their prototyping data. So instead of trying to figure everything out yourself, you can get some advice on what's been going on and help you be more pick a more likely successful path as you go down. The fewer problems you have this season during the build season, the more successful you'll be. And teams, by no means am I saying you should you should share that little special thing but there's nothing wrong with sharing stuff from very early on in development to help get people on that right path mm-hmm. i like I, this this entire thing is about helping each other the cooperation and gracious professionalism they're like help your teams out at the end of the day um all of us here want this district to get better and if you can help each other to learn the lessons and make them mis- we can, if we can all make the mistakes together and stay in making the same mistake a hundred times separately we will grow so much faster as a district so Great. if you want to join the slack channel all you gotta do is email kellen at auto and he can get you an invite to get on our slack channel or brian at 6829 Brian.Carlson at IgniteRobotics.com. I'll get it to Kellen. Yeah, or KellenWHill at gmail.com. We'll, we'll get you figured out. Um, my, I guess, last piece, of my suggestion or uh, key takeaway for teams is build to your resources. We, we have a lot of general notes out here uh, for suggestions to team, but teams, but you're the ones that are most familiar with your skill set, your resources, your abilities. Make sure you're building to that skill set and don't necessarily take all of our advice. Make sure you you filter appropriately um, when designing or conceptualizing your robots. Um, But that's, I think, always my takeaway for any any year, but particularly this one. Um, So yeah, build to your resource set and make sure you're making decisions for your own team instead of taking strategy notes from somebody else. But... Um, moving on to an interesting segment here. Um, before we wrap up, um, we're going to uh, make a wager and uh, uh, throw back to some Trevor Davidson days on uh, PCH. But um, we got a couple wagers. First off, how many cargo do you think, what is the most cargo a PCH bot will score in a single match this season? Thomas, put your number on the table. Why do I have to oh, go first? No, you have to go first. You are the new person here. Brian will He's start newer first than on. me. Brian will go first on the next he round. He was on an episode right. before, so <laughs> you're newer. The question is, so you're basically talking at states? Uh, throughout the entire right. PCH. Wait, average? So it's an no, average. No, no, the average. highest. What is the peak amount? Peak. Okay. First. <laughs> <laughs> I strongly dislike you guys. I thought you were my friends. Um, you know, I'm gonna shoot for the fences. I think there will be. I think there's going to be one team in Georgia that gets 18. I think it's going to happen once. It's going to be miraculous. I think it can happen. Just the immac- Just. Are you talking about the Lions? Are you talking about no, one? No, one single, no, single team. That's why I'm like, oh, are oh, you? Oh, 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 are you so playing so, with this? No, 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 no. No, no, no. Ten. Ten. Ten, ten is my magic. That's five cycles. I think if if team can get five cycles, I think that's going to be impressive. Kyle, what's your take? <laughs> <laughs> that take was that first one, eighteen. That's wild. Okay, but no, no, it could it could actually happen. But um, I think realistically, I am going to go for 
we're, we're talking peak. Mm-hmm. Realistically, I think peak could be 12, but I think conservatively it would be 10. Realistically, so I think 12. it can get I higher. Ten. I already picked 10. You are 12. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, honestly, so I'm saying this off of the basis of knowing that our district has has significantly improved. So I think we're going to be able to see a tw- uh, 12 cargo. All right. I think you're both chickens. Listen! Whoa, <laughs> I think whoa. you're both chickens. If you want to see a hot take, I'll give you a hot take. Okay, I listen. think there's going to be a match where the other alliance doesn't know what's going on. You're going to see a perfect situation. I think we're going to see a single PCH team score 18 game pieces by themselves in a match. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Brian, what do you get? I'm going 15. 15. I understand that you know the, the 10, but you all forgot about Auton. You can get they're gonna get three uncontested, Dang, right? You're right. And if you get a good team, you get four. Math. Right? Math. So if you guys want to give Auton, I could have just got 14. Do that us, all right? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> what were you thinking? Luckily for you, you've got you get to go last on the second round. <sighs> Dope. All right. I already know my answer to this next question. Second question: How many PCH teams do you think will have a tra- the capability of a traversal climb for that fourth rung by the end of the PCHT by state championships. Thomas, sit on it for a second. Brian, what's your answer? I'm choosing between two numbers, zero and one. I'm going to go with zero. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Um, I, speaking of good ideas, I don't know if traversal climbs make a lot of sense for Georgia teams to... With that said, I'm going to go with two, just for, I think not a lot of teams are going to do it. Not a lot of teams should do it, um, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll put two. No, you put two for, for me. Oh, whoops. I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> you I'm put two for those, me and zero for him. Those who are listening and watching at home, we have a Google.com <laughs> recording who says what. Yeah, and want, talent, we'll, get that, we'll get that sorted out. I here. want that on the record. We're, we're straightened out. Numbers are right on the sheet. Here. Okay. <laughs> right on the record. Okay. Um, I am going to go for the hot take. I am going to go um, that we will see for traversal climb. I'm gonna go for four. Four. I'm going. For, I'm going for four because what I'm figuring is most likely we're gonna see majority of the powerhouse teams that are going to uh, go ahead and to specialize and will figure out a climb to a specific level. But I think uh, we have teams, especially from uh, Albany and Dalton, to have gotten amazed, have traversed so much to be. You know, unironically, traverse so much to be able to get to this point where they're creating very consistently awesome robots that have great mechanical uh, capabilities. So I think we will see probably a minimum or a max of four that will do a traversal climb. I, I have two answers for this question. Two, two, answers. two answers. Two answers. I'm answering this question two ways. Number of teams that should have a traversal climb in the state of Georgia, big fat zero. <laughs> Number of teams that will have it, I think, and this is going to be even hotter than Kyle's. I think there's going to be, we have maniacs in this district. <laughs> We're going to have six. I think there are going to be robots where they do nothing except get that traversal climb and just do that every match. They start the match, they drive, and they climb, and they get those 15 points. That's going to happen. Listen, your zero, listen, for all of you, your zero should 
uh, make a traversal climb is such a play the district answer that I cannot believe that I didn't make that answer. Listen, zero. Listen, let's be honest. We need the crazy people. The crazy people are the ones that get to Einstein. Okay, the crazy people are the ones that get to Einstein. So you need those people. Now, well, all those you can't make Einstein if you don't make it to Worlds, Kyle. Listen, you will make it to Worlds because playing the district, playing the district. You just said if you have a traversal, don't have a traversal climb, you play the district. But no, 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 that's a play the district answer. But realistically. Like, you need the craziness. You need to, I think, traversal climbs. Like, we're talking about third robot. That third robot could be the traversal climb robot. Yeah. Uh, and I think one thing that sets it aside is there's there's a difference between being crazy and being insane. Like Both of them are great. No. <laughs> Guys, These listen. are the takes he came for, people. Yes. <laughs> I love how they, they – they, they, like, we have the two crazy people and the two reserved people. It is – glorious but like <laughs> build within your limits yes if you could and not climb, climb last season you, could. you had two years to learn how to climb don't try to do something <laughs> Wait, this how, year how many teams at grits climbed a single bar i have no idea i was very few let's be honest right and now they're gonna figure out how to climb that and then play tarzan and go from one to another listen in, there is in, a way there is a way to climb one bar to get that 15 points. I'm not going to say how, but it is – read the manual, guys. Listen, read the manual. Thomas, does it's it have possible. anything to do with jumping, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Okay, I think we've gone a little bit over time. Uh, what I would like to do is make a call out um, to a couple of special people. Uh, we've got a couple people that have contributed heavily to Peach Pit over the past several years. Uh, those people are Sunny Gupta and Trevor Davidson for some of our past commentators. Uh, who else? The other person I'd like to call out is Anupam Goli, who is a, a teacher and mentor for 1746, who's been working behind the scenes here. Uh, again, <laughs> helping Behind us, the scenes, Anupam. <laughs> behind the scenes. Helping us produce some uh, quality content that I'd like to see us keep producing through this upcoming season. So expect to see some more PCH pit as we get closer to competition season. Yes. Wait. Give <laughs> we'll, we'll give Kyle right. the ball here. Yes. Um, but uh, what I'd like to say at this point is uh, we're going to wrap up the show. We'll keep our eyes out for what you're doing throughout the entire season. Uh, keep it real, PCH. We're out. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>